I am glad that you are here today. It's really good to see Jim Reeves, hasn't been able to be here for a bit, and good to see all the rest of you too. Uh, it's, it's a blessing to gather together with, with people, to learn from the Word of God, to sing songs. I love to hear you guys sing, probably more than you would love to hear me sing, but I really enjoy when we sing together to the Lord. That's, that's a blessing, and someday in heaven we'll do that. Thousands and millions and billions of believers all singing to the Lord, and it'll be fantastic. Last week, uh, we started in Matthew chapter 7, and we ended the message with the thought of becoming a critical thinker without becoming a critical person. And although I hadn't planned to, I felt led of the Lord early this past week to uh, address that subject again. Uh, to give us some some encouragement. Last week we looked at the the why we should have discernment without being condemning. And this week we're going to look at how intentional actions that, that we can pursue that will help us to think more critically and care more deeply. Father, we thank you for your word which guides us, which instructs us, which exposes our sin, but amazingly also shows us the path of grace and forgiveness. We pray that today our hearts would be stirred, that we would worship you uh, from the core of our being in appreciation for all that you have done for us, on us, in us, and through us. God, we, we praise you for who you are and what you have done. And if there are folks here today who have never trusted Christ, I pray that today they would realize that their life they're heading toward an eternity without Christ, an eternity in hell and the lake of fire. And I pray they would ask the Lord to save their soul. And I thank you that you said that those who call unto you, you will answer. And I thank you that when we seek your salvation, you meet us and provide it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Becoming a critical thinker without becoming a critical person. Hopefully you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 or click on your screen to Matthew chapter 7. And we're, the first two words, judge not. And our world says you should never judge anybody. You should never think bad of anybody. You should never look down. You should never um, think you're doing something better than what someone else is doing. And we're, we're not allowed in our culture. They don't want us to have discernment. And God calls us to recognize the difference between bad and good, and between good and better, and between better and best. He wants us to have discernment. So, Matthew chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Well, that's a little judgmental, isn't it? Well, yeah, Jesus is the judge of all the earth. He knows what a hypocrite looks like, smells like, talks like, thinks like. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll be clear, able to see, you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. 
And then this strange verse. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, this verse was used to uh, encourage segregation. This verse was used to encourage uh, oppression of people, not just in America, but all around the world. Uh, People have been oppressed, and they say, well, you know, you're not good enough to receive the grace uh, of God. You're not human enough. You're not intelligent enough. But God said, how much intelligence do we need to have in order to believe on Christ? The faith of how big of a child? Faith of a little child. That that range from uh, just older than infant, toddler, up through before teens, that age, that young child age, they can believe and receive Christ. So what this verse is focusing on is that I put it this way, don't give up on people, but focus where your labors might bring fruit. Don't give up on people, but focus where your labors might bring fruit. No one is beyond God's grace, but some people are beyond your influence. How many of you had a child that has walked away from the Lord for a time? That's hard, isn't it? And and what we want to do is we want to pour our heart and life into them. We want to we want to reach them. But guess what? They might not be reachable by you. I have a great relationship with my older son Nathan, but when he was a teenager, we didn't have quite as good of a relationship. And I was his pastor, but but there were issues. And I remember him going to camp and hearing a speaker at camp. And the message that speaker gave was one that, that I had preached on here. And yet when that, that guest speaker at camp shared that same message from the Word of God, it stirred my son's heart. And he came back to the Lord. And he's serving God in his church now. And, and we rejoiced. But if I had spent all of my energy trying to reach him when he seemed a little callous and indifferent, I couldn't have pastored a church. And God says, don't focus all your energy trying to reach people that are not being influenced. Don't give up on people. But focus your energy and your uh, ministry ability where it is doing good, where you're reaching people. We never give up on people. But don't spend all your time trying to reach people that are not reachable by you or at that time. When I was a kid, I was not reachable for years. And then suddenly I was. And I responded to a message I heard at camp. Probably I'd heard something similar dozens of times in my church. I went forward and my youth pastor led me to the Lord. My parents loved me, prayed for me, cared for me, bought me Bibles, took me to church. I I got saved when I was 500 miles away from them. God works on people. So you focus on the ones where your labors might bring forth fruit. Don't neglect people, 
but don't spend all your energy working for people who are not responding to God. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm not phrasing this very well because you're just staring at me a little glassy-eyed. So if that makes sense, I want you to say, say, amen, hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that, okay? That, that would sound really weird on the, on the recording that we put online. But, but don't give up on people. Don't. But no one, just because they're not beyond God's grace doesn't mean they will respond to your influence. Some people are beyond your influence, and it may break your heart, but then minister to people you can minister to. And then God may bring them along. Number two, you have obligations to your fellow believers. You do. So if everyone is in, if everyone in this room is a believer, and I know that many of you are, then every single one of you has a responsibility to every single other person in the room. The first obligation is you have to have personal integrity. Now that means integrity is not just honorableness. Integrity is a wholeness. That your whole body, soul, and spirit are yielded to God, that you're following Him. You need to have integrity. What happens sometimes in homes of people that come to church together? At church, Dad is honorable. At church, maybe like Ben got up here to do the offering and call us to give to the Lord, or like Benjamin talking about the missions, or Jim leading the singing, or or Bill praying for the offering. And and so we, we have these people at church. They're honorable and they they carry a Bible and sometimes the Bible has has their name in it. On the on the front cover in gold lettering. But then they go home and they don't live for God. And the kids are raised in an environment where there's a hypocrite. Because at church they're righteous and at home they're not. And that does more damage to kids. In fact, um, when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said it would be better for kids to be raised by a pagan than to have a dad who's not providing for his family. That's pretty serious stuff. So you owe it to your fellow believers to have personal integrity. Does that mean you will never sin? Yes. No. No, it doesn't. You will never get to a level where you never sin. So what do we do with that sin? If we sin, when we sin. What do we do? Ask forgiveness. Of God and who else? Any other people that were hurt by that sin. So, you know what happens in good Christian homes? Dads and moms talk about the Lord together. And, and parents and kids talk about the Lord. And we have personal integrity. And the second thing is, we. I, I can't think of the first word. Uh, personal integrity and 
Go ahead. Relational ministry. I, my brain couldn't come up with the word relational. Uh, personal integrity, relational ministry. So that if you have sinned, and maybe you're struggling with sin. So what you can do is I could ask Dean to be my, my prayer partner and help me in this area. And I could talk to Dean about an area I'm struggling. And then we can pray together and I would be strengthened. And then he's helping hold me accountable because Personal integrity is what you owe it to everybody. And then relational ministry is how we connect with one another. Because no one's perfect. No one. <laughs> Years ago, there was a mom who was talking to her kid here at our church. And she said to her kid, uh, is mommy perfect? And the kid said, oh, no. Is daddy perfect? Oh, no. Is Pastor Green perfect? Oh, no. Is Mrs. Green perfect? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant child, right? Right? See, nobody's perfect. So what sometimes happens in church? We pretend. How was your week last week? Oh, it was a great week. Just felt such a closeness with the Lord. And that might be true. On Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m., you might have felt a closeness with the Lord. But on Thursday, you were really struggling with sin. Oh, but you don't want to admit that. Let me tell you something. You have an obligation to your fellow believers to be honest. That doesn't mean you get up here in church and you confess all your sins. Hi, I'm Terry. I'm a sinner. And go through the 12-step program. No. But it means you're honest and real so that other people can help you, and you can help them. It doesn't help anybody if we're fake. If we had fake flooring here in the church, and when you stood up to leave, you collapsed down through, that would not be a help. And a fake life will collapse. Be real. Have integrity and relational ministry. Uh, in Matthew 7, he talks about if your brother has struggling with this sin, how does he describe the sin in somebody else? What's it look like? In their eye. In somebody else, it, it's a moat or a speck. Now, that's like the, the lowercase i, the dot above the i of the lowercase i. Itty, bitty, little Smallest mark in Hebrew. Hebrew has lots of dashes and dots and slashes, and, but the smallest mark. And then, now let's compare that to what's in the other person's eye. That's the whole alphabet, man. It's this beam sticking out. It's a plank sticking out of your own eye. And so what does God say to do? Personal integrity. Pull the plank out of your own eye. Relational ministry. Go help the other person with their struggle. We don't do anybody any good when we pretend we're completely righteous. In fact, that's what the world hates about Christianity. The hypocrisy. A Christian leader who talks about the importance of family ministry, and then he gets exposed for having an affair. 
A person who talks about integrity and then he gets exposed for stealing. We can't be that way. But you, when you confront somebody, like to help them with that thing in their eye, here's how you do it, okay? You do it in love and you don't blame and fuss. You don't go up to them saying, what? What's wrong with you, girl? Get that thing out of your eye. You, you don't do that. Especially not with Juana, at least not when you're within arm's length. Right, Juana? Right? You, you don't do that. Okay? You, don't blame and fuss. Instead, ask and listen. Because guess what? You do not have perfect vision. I'm very aware of that. Without my glasses on, I, well, actually, I run into walls with them on, but it's worse with them off. Uh, but, so... Some of you have a, a phenomenal vision, but you don't have perfect vision. And you think you see something in somebody else's eye. And, and so what you do is you go talk to them. You ask, you say, hey, it seems to me what you're doing is not consistent with Scripture. Could you explain to me, am, am I missing something? You don't walk up to them with your Bible and smack them upside the head. You, you minister to them. You Invite them into the conversation and you listen. You look at the ministry of Jesus. Tell me some people Jesus listened to. Zacchaeus. The woman at the well. Nicodemus. There's people Jesus listened to all through the Gospels. And after he listened, then he spoke God's truth into the circumstances. But he listened first. We, we can't beat people up with the word of God. We need to hear their heart. That's what Jesus was a master at. He heard their heart, not just their words. So I was reading through the... Uh, conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well yesterday. And in that conversation, she says something, and Jesus like says something totally unrelated, it seems like. And when I was a young guy, I was told that's because Jesus wasn't distracted by all the conversations that people had. He just brought it right straight back to the gospel in this confrontational evangelism. I don't see Jesus doing that. What he's doing is he's speaking to the woman's Heart, not just her words. Now, you and I aren't as good at that as he has. He is because he's God. Sorry to tell you, you're not. But you can listen. And the Holy Spirit of God can sometimes let you know what's going on in their heart. So you can speak to that. He listened and then he spoke the truth. So, personal integrity. Pull it out of your eye. Relational ministry. Care for, minister to others. Now, very important thing is that I want you to see the story of grace woven through the pages of Scripture. Now, you see on the screen there that I eventually want you in Ephesians 1. So if you can turn there while listening and focusing on this, then please do. Okay, 
The story of grace woven through the pages of Scripture. In Genesis, God showed His grace by clothing Adam and Eve, by choosing Abraham, by blessing Joseph. In Exodus, He showed His grace by delivering the Hebrews from their bondage in Egypt. In Leviticus, He showed His grace by orchestrating sacrifices to atone for sin. In Numbers, He showed His grace by sustaining the Israelites even when they grumbled and doubted. How many of you parents have had to feed grumpy kids? You still do, right? So does God. Deuteronomy, God shows His grace by reestablishing His covenant with Joshua and the nation. And in Joshua, He showed His grace by guiding the Israelites to victory over their enemies, even when they were greatly outnumbered. In Judges, He showed His grace by delivering the Israelites over and over and over when they called out to Him. In Ruth, He showed His grace to Ruth, bringing her into the nation of Israel and even into the family line of the Messiah. Did you know we can go all the way through the book of Revelation and see God's grace over and over and over and over? It's woven through the pages of Scripture. If we jump to the Gospels, the Gospels show God's grace by the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and His ascension into glory to intercede on our behalf. He provides the way of salvation to all. So, when you want to become a critical thinker and not a critical person, you need to think about God's grace. That's how God wants to respond to everyone. He will bring judgment. He will. But that's not what He wants to do. He wants people to be saved. In Ephesians chapter 1, look with me in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Boy, if you're having a difficult day, you need to read that verse. And remember, this life is just a little bit of life. And in heaven, it'll be glorious. Verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, to which He has made us accepted in the Beloved, In Him we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So before the world was formed, God determined He would save all those who believe. And He didn't just do it generically. He looked down through history and He knew there would come a time when you would be born. And He would interact in your life. And He would bring the gospel message to you. And He would give you the opportunity to respond and believe in Him. And He would make you part of His family so that your sins would be forever forgiven. So you could live forever in heaven with Him. 
And as we respond to God's love for us, we are recipients of His grace. The next chapter, chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's by His grace. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he says, we're His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God planned in advance that we would pursue. We are saved by grace. There's the story of grace. And so what you need to realize, how many of you were saved over the age of 15? Raise your hand. How many saved over the age of 15? Okay, there's quite a few. Uh, Quite a few saved under 15. It's easier when you get saved a little bit older. It's easier to see. But from before your parents knew they were expecting you, from before that moment, God had already planned for that day when you would hear the gospel and you would respond to the gospel. I do not believe God preordains anyone to hell. I know some people believe that. I believe God gives everybody an opportunity at salvation. That's why Romans chapter 1 says that those who ignore God's revelation and ignore what God put in their heart and their conscience, they are without excuse. They, they could have, and if they had pursued God, He would have revealed more of Himself to them. He's the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. But what you need to realize is, before you were the sweet, wonderful person you are here today, before that, when you were selfish, in sin, an enemy of God, God was already working to cause the circumstances and the experience of you becoming a believer. You need to see the grace of God woven throughout Scripture. And and you need to look at, there's some people in our culture, they seem like they're really evil, don't they? They, they do evil things. They glory in evil things. And we need to realize that God has a time for them to believe and receive Him if they would. We could spend eternity with them rejoicing of the glories of our gracious God. God's grace truly is amazing. Salvation and life transformation are gifts we receive from God. And I believe you'll be less critical of others if you remind yourself of God's amazing grace toward you. And that way we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember, His amazing grace toward you will help you be less critical of others. Number four, you need to choose to follow the heart of God. I want you to turn, please, to the book of Lamentations. If you don't know where it is, it's right after Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. You don't know where Isaiah is? About in the middle of the Bible is the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Um, uh, We're going to look in Lamentations and then Jeremiah. The chapters are listed on the screen. Lamentations 3, Jeremiah 31. Choose to follow the heart of God. This picture on the screen has a a ring of barbed wire 
uh, and it's it's a symbol, a picture of the crown of Christ, and then it shows on the Bible there. So the shadow coming through that ring makes the shape of a heart. That we look at what Christ did for us on the cross, and His heart is on display. And we need to follow the heart of God. There are people who are very legalistic in their Christianity, in their faith. That if you don't look like them, walk like them, talk like them, smell like them, then you're not exactly like Jesus wants you to be. And I actually heard a preacher stand up in front of a room full of thousands of people, and he said, some of you don't like me because you don't have the guts to be like me. Because he was really honoring God. About four years later, we found out that less than a year after he gave that famous speech to us, he was involved in an affair. And so he got fired from his church, and another church took him right in. Shame on both churches for the way they handled it. He should have been fired, but they should have done it in a way that did not allow him to go in to pastor another church. And he went into another church and within three years had had affairs with more than 20 women in the church. See, when we follow the heart of God, there is no room for arrogance. You are one decision away from doing something that could disqualify you for the ministry that you're in right now. You are one decision away that could put you on the wrong path the wrong track. You are one decision away from stepping into the light and walking with the Lord and drawing closer to Him. Every day is an opportunity to honor God, draw closer to Him, and every day is an opportunity to walk away. We need to choose to follow the heart of God. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We have a couple of rules in our Awana program, and Clorinda was explaining them to the workers recently, and we have a three count. And what's a three count mean if a kid's behaved badly? You'd say, Lance, that's a one. Now, he's in track. I've never had to say that to him yet, but just imagine that he was bad. That's a one. Okay? And then later in the night, he would do something else. Oh, that's a two. Well, now he gets pulled out of that activity. Even if it's the fun games, he gets pulled out of that. If there's a three, then he goes to the commanders and maybe gets sent home to his parents. But guess what? Next week, he starts with a zero. I don't give them a one count this week and next week, all right, remember, you still have a one count, buddy. You better watch it. No, it starts over like God's grace. It's new every morning. Aren't you glad? You could blow it this afternoon and tomorrow morning's a new day and you can walk with God. He's willing to forgive because he loves. And if we follow the heart of God, we're not going to hold grudges. If we follow the heart of God, we're not going to have a problem not being critical. 
Because we're going to see how much God loves that person and how possibly God can use us to bring that person into a closer relationship with God. Jeremiah 31. It's right before Lamentations, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. Verse number 3, I'm going to go ahead and read. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying... Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you. God is working. He's wooing. He's trying to draw you to a higher, better life, to salvation, to have your sins forgiven, and then to walk with Him. And that's how God wants to work in people. So when you and I start following the heart of God, we're not going to attack people. Boy, I hate the political attack ads. I especially hate it when a politician I'm planning to vote for acts like a moron in their commercials. Which is like, 92.7% 92.7% of the time. I, I, I really get frustrated by those attack ads. But what makes me even more upset, I get newsletters and magazines and news clip email things sent to me, and it's, it's this Christian group attacking that Christian group because this Christian group is more biblical, and they might be. But then they're attacking this group, and that's not what Jesus did. Jesus exposed the sins of people, but he always drew them to himself. Jesus didn't mess with people. He didn't want to beat people into submission. He wanted to pick them up into salvation. See, the image I have of Jesus is not giving a smackdown, but giving a hand up and a hug. Isn't that what you see in the Bible? He doesn't hide the truth. He doesn't sugarcoat. He says to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Now don't do it anymore. He doesn't say, don't, don't worry about it. I just love you. Big hug. That's, that's not God. That might be some weird idea of grandparenting. It's not the way we do it. But, but God loves people enough to confront them in their sin, but never will he be attacking. He invites them to himself. Jeremiah, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John three seventeen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's important to learn the Word of God. But when you separate the Word of God from the heart of God, you become a Pharisee. And you look down on other people and you're judgmental. You need to bring them together. The early church transformed their culture because they showed love everywhere they went. And the unbeliever said, whoa, those people really show love. They didn't argue politics, even though Rome's Emperor Nero was a terrible person and an even worse leader. They didn't argue theology or doctrine. They presented the truth, but they didn't get in shouting arguments over it. They didn't protest the ungodly um, activities of the Roman government or the Jewish uh, leaders. 
They showed love and they served. They made the world a better place and they touched people's hearts. They did exactly what you and I should be doing. Jesus said he came to serve and to give his life. We need to choose to follow the heart of God. Back here and now, there are believers who say the conservatives are trying to ruin our country. And there are other believers who say the liberals are trying to destroy our culture. And they're both wrong. I don't know anybody involved in politics at all who wants to destroy America. There are some making decisions that could destroy America. But I think they're trying to do what's right. I think they're confused, not evil. Certainly Satan is evil, and some people wholly follow him. But those who are opposed to the truth of God's word, they're most of the time confused by the devil. They're not evil. He is, and he can blind hearts. We read that in Scripture. So I think one of the biggest threats against the church is the LBGTQ and some of the things they've been doing. If you don't know what that stands for, it's um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning. And they have a couple other names that go with it. And, And so some of those people really don't like us because we say that being heterosexual is God's plan. Sex inside of marriage only is God's plan. One man, one woman in a committed marriage for one lifetime, that's God's plan. And so, so they don't like what we stand for. But, but what do you do when you're talking with a person, if you're confronted by a person, if, if there's an issue like that? And well, how should you respond? Well, what's the, the first thing you need to do is not smack them with the gospel truth. The first thing is you need to show love. Now, I worked with a man who was openly gay, living with another man. When he left the company, he gave me a hug. We worked together. He appreciated. When he gave me a hug, honest, it felt really awkward. But my responsibility before Christ to him was to show him that Christ loved him and to share God's truth. He didn't accept God's truth, but he knew where I stood and he knew I cared about him and he knew I cared about the truth of God's word. In that particular circumstance, I probably handled it about as well as I could have at the time. But, but what do we do? I'm Honestly, I don't understand how you can say my gender's wrong. A man who has surgery to become a woman or a woman who has surgery to become a man, they still have their original DNA. And so a man who has that surgery, he is still, DNA is a man, even though he looks, dresses, and acts like a woman. And so so God made us two genders. And yet in California, there's a group arguing that there's more than 30 genders biologically, that's not possible. And biologically, if if the human species operated the way that group wants us to, the human race would die out. And so, 
It's a threat to our way of life because they are attacking churches and believers. And if a believer has a cake business and he won't make a cake for their celebration, then they sue him. And we've had Christian believers lose their businesses because of this agenda. So do we build big walls with that curvy barbed wire thing on top, the razor wire? No. We open our doors and say, God loves you. Doesn't approve what you do, but he loves you. He doesn't endorse your lifestyle, but he died to pay the penalty for your sins. See, we can't become critical people. We need to respect their personhood. We need to remember that mankind was created in God's image. And people have struggled from the beginning with understanding and obeying the truth of God's Word. We need to seek to understand how they feel and then share God's truth in a loving and non-condemning way and do not agree with them. There are churches that are doing that today. Do not agree with them because that's contrary to Scripture. But do not attack them. Turn your Bible, please, to uh, Hebrews. Number five, we need to separate from the sin, but reach out to the sinner. Separate from the sin, but reach out to the sinner. And uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. um, Therefore he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. So when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, some of you used to be homosexual. Some of you used to be heterosexual, but in sexual sin. Some of you used to be liars, cheaters, thieves. And he said, such were some of you, but you came to Christ. And he saves to the uttermost. So if you're a four-year-old kid, when you got saved, he wiped out all those sins before your salvation. If you're 40 years old and in prison and you get saved, he wipes out all those sins before. He saves to the uttermost. Nobody is partway saved. They're 100% saved. They may not be living for God, But everyone who has trusted Christ as Savior is completely saved. Saved to the uttermost. Those who come to God through Him. Since He ever lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us. Who is holy. Saying He is holy. Harmless. Undefiled. Separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. See, there's groups who say, oh man, Jesus went out and partied with people. Jesus was separate from sinners. He was open to them, receiving them, talking with them, befriending them, but he was separate from them. So you need to separate from the sin, but reach out to the sinners. Remember the Pharisees, one of the nicknames they had for Jesus, they called him a friend of sinners, as if that was a bad thing. Separate from their sin. Don't join into the sin, but reach out to the sinner. We have too many Christians in America who are attacking the sinners. 
And they're the very people Christ died for. He separated himself, but he did not isolate himself. He did not join in their sinful activities. But remember this, they never doubted or questioned his love for them. They knew he would receive them. Number six, remember that you are here on planet earth to represent Jesus Christ and bring glory to him in everything you do and say. The end of 1 Corinthians 10, the beginning of verse 11, of chapter 11. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Bring glory to Him. Whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you're doing, bring glory to Him. You can become a critical thinker without becoming a critical person. Follow the heart of God. Follow the life of Christ. He'll show you how to do it. We need to learn His Word. But we need to follow His heart. And... Hopefully, do them both together. There are groups who try and follow his heart, and they show love to everybody, but they don't share the truth of his word. It does not help people when we make them more comfortable on their way to hell. It helps them when we share the gospel, meet their needs, and share the gospel. Show love and share truth. So there's a song we're going to sing. It's called... uh, we are called to be God's people. And, and right before we sing it, I'm going to ask Kathy to play through it for just a minute. And, and I want you to look at your own heart and life. We started the service asking you to pray. And, and maybe you have uh, never trusted Christ as your Savior. Today could be your spiritual birthday. You can come to the front, go to the back. Somebody would show you how to be saved. If you have trusted Christ... You need to think, how well are you representing him? You are his ambassador to this culture. He put you here at this time and place to represent him. So how are you doing with that? Do you have personal integrity? Do you have relational ministry? Are you following Christ? Let's stand. Jim, you come and we're going to sing. We are called to be God's people.